Welcome to Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. Each week we bring you insights from the playmakers, dealmakers, and rule makers in the world of sports. I'll give you my take on some of the items of the week using my 30 years of experience doing deals for teams, leagues, and players in the $750 billion business of sports. Plus, we'll talk with a central figure in the sports world. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the views of Reuters. Let's get started. Week three in the NFL, probably one of the most turbulent weeks we'll look back in the history of the NFL, and it only gets more turbulent. In full transparency, we're actually taping this in the middle of the second game, 6 o'clock Eastern time on Sunday night because there has been such an uproar, and obviously the entire country is going to focus on the kind of social and political ramifications of the presidential statements, the owners' responses, the players' responses as well. We thought we'd take a look at the economics and the business perspective of it, and who better than Dan Calaruso, the global editor of Digital, to give us some perspective and to kind of take it away. Dan, what's your thought? Rick, thanks a lot. Um, I think, though, uh, the perspective we really want here is yours. Um, You're the expert. You've been in business with people who own franchises from the NBA to the NFL to Major League Baseball. You you understand their mentality, and I think sports, in a unique position in America, traditionally, at the intersection of race, socioeconomic status, and politics, um, it's happened before. It happened in the 68 Olympics. It happened with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. It happened with Muhammad Ali, famously. Um, That was a long time ago. We really haven't had this kind of um, high-profile political um, protest uh, in, in American sports. But here it's really, really interesting because the an ownership in the NFL, where the ownership group is far more likely to be Trump supporters politically, campaign contributors, um, Bob Kraft, of course, famously a friend of Trump, um, but all had a pretty uniform uh, reaction to, to his statements this weekend. And I think it comes from you know their personal interests being in direct conflict with some of their business and economic interests. There's a lot at stake here. Um, and certainly they're in a position where they say, well, I have stakeholders on several sides of this. Where do I come off? And I think they're coming off, you know, on the side of uh, the Constitution, for lack of a better term, but just generally free of expression. But, but give us a little look into their kind of mindset as they were faced with this issue this weekend. This is, in retrospect, President Donald Trump has probably done more to impact the future of the NFL than anybody has in the past two or three decades. The statements of calling players, um, whatever he called them, I don't even want to grace it with the comment, and then the immediate response from players, former players, owners, corporate advertisers, it has solidified a league that is looking to a $25 billion revenue stream. There were issues relative to concussions and CTE, and Aaron Hernandez last week was demonstrated to have a, uh, a, a CTE advanced brain, which doesn't excuse a murder, but it certainly calls into question players under 30 and what happens to them. And the NFL uh, had some issues, and it still does, by the way. But now the galvanizing... But, but what... But, but you, right, to me, it's interesting. What does this mean to the owners? I mean, when, when you look at the business, the multi-billion dollar endeavor of the NFL. Um, what does this mean to the Kraft family, the Tisch family, the Rooney family, um, Jerry Jones? I mean, 
their reaction, I mean, not, maybe not Jones as much, but with others, their reactions have been fairly strong and fairly aggressive. What's at stake for them here? What, what, do, they, what do they see as the equation? I've had a chance to talk to a number of owners, by the way, of both sides of the political aisle. Pretty intense. Uh, they've raised money significantly for both candidates and parties over the last few years. Uh, I texted uh, b- both sets of them this morning, and, it, and the names aren't important. The, the, the unity is. And both are saying, look, we're going to stand out on the field with our players. We believe this crosses the line. Roger Goodell with a, uh, with a very strong statement that he may have checked with owners. I do believe that he's checked with a couple of them, and he knew that some of them were going to be on the field. Uh, Stephen Ross, who is the head of the RISE organization that he created, will have a benefit of his interview in a couple of weeks. He was very outspoken on the field with many of his players. These are fine young men uh, who uh, have been uh, in a position of, of articulating whatever they wanted to articulate. So from an owner's perspective, corporations will stand with those owners. Owners will stand with those players. And I will tell you that I think the average franchise value of the NFL, which was $2.5 billion, uh, according to Forbes, and $4 billion with the Cowboys and others, I'll go out on a limb and say the average franchise value of the NFL went up significantly today and this weekend alone. Well, it just shows the the investment. You know, I was joking about it with my wife earlier today. Sure, if I'm a football fan and I've paid God knows how much for my PSL and then God knows how much for my four-pack of season tickets and then the $100 in food and merchandise I go for at every game, not to mention parking. Like, it's tough for me to boycott that <laughs> based on a, a volley from uh, from the president that might seem um, well-founded or ill-founded depending on your point of view, but it seems fairly um, uh, serendip- not serendipitous, but capricious or, or just random to, 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 for that to start to happen. I mean, the NFL's ratings have been down, um, but I don't think um, when you look at the quality of the games last year and you look at the overall issues that surrounded the NFL last year, I think the protests might have been part of them, but I, I don't believe it made up the lion's share. I don't think the, the league was hoping um, that if they went away, everything would be cured. I don't think that was, I think the owners were smarter than that. I don't. I don't even. I was just going to say before you ask the next question. I, I, I would disagree that it's even a significant part. I, I think the protests are, are, are a, are a sidelight. I think any employer has to deal with this issue. I think that the fact that they're on national TV gives it color. But the NFL gets paid six billion dollars a year from television. Corporations make up much of that because of advertising revenues. And I didn't hear one bit of anything from people saying these protests will cause people not to go to games. You're right. Uh, you, you, you can't tell somebody who's looking for an entertainment relief from the Harvey flooding in Houston and the Irma flooding and hurricane damage in Tampa and Miami and Jacksonville that they're going to boycott a game because of a non-issue because it also flies against the First Amendment. It just doesn't happen in addition to the dollars that are invested. It's the social and political implications of that, and I feel very strongly about that. Rick, in the case of activism, um, do brands around the NFL economy um, try and plug into activism? You know, Kendall Jenner and Pepsi famously um, pulled off a commercial that that didn't work and it was maybe it was seen as being around black lives matter pepsi had to pull the commercial there was a lot of a lot of kind of uh, criticism of it do the brands here try and plug into activism around the nfl or do they just step away ignore it and concentrate on the game well two kinds i think the brands that have an edge to them the nikes the reeboks the apparel companies 
the the uh, the uh, the Gatorades, the the the, the 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 as we said, the Nikes. I think they're going to make a social statement about this, and I think it's going to be brilliantly produced. And I think just like the the LeBron, uh, Dwayne Wade, uh, Chris Paul uh, ads uh, around the uh, the uh, entertainment events. This is going to be one of those things where corporations will work overtime giving their ad agencies a task to try to do something really well and really tasteful. There will be other companies, like the truck companies you mentioned, I think that will focus on individual freedom and being your own person and the NFL personifying all of that. And you take the issue away from head injuries in, in a way and you focus on individual freedom and I think it's an issue that ad agencies and corporations will jump on really strongly because as we add up what happens tomorrow as we tape this tonight there will be a vast majority of teams and owners that will have protested about this and obviously as we said at the beginning of this draw the league teams and players together right and what do you think happens next Sunday um, do you think this is a controversy that sticks with the league, or do we come out next Sunday? Is is linking arms going to be the new um, anthem uh, positioning for these teams, or do you think it goes back to normal next Sunday? Do you think the league comes out with a rule? Do you do, what What do you think happens? How do they How do they game plan this to you know keep the keep the purity of kind of the opposition, or as, as they see it? Um, but maintain kind of some framework around it so things don't run amok. Well, believe me, don't, don't misinterpret my answer because I'm not construing September 11 and the aftermath of it in any way relating to what this president did or said to evoke all of this. But this becomes an assault on individual freedom, and therefore people respond accordingly. Do you remember when around September 11, America the Beautiful was kind of the norm in the seventh inning stretch, even though the national anthem was the norm beginning of the game? And that caught on because it was nice and people liked it. I think there will be something that will catch on on a regular basis with hand-in-hand coaches and players during the national anthem that takes away from singling out one player who might choose to protest in a different manner than otherwise. This is way beyond an individual protest. This is all about freedom and symbolism and honor for the country. And I think the players and owners and the commissioners are now getting it. You remember last night, and I did hear about this, and this is valid. I talked to three owners who confirmed this. That last night, Players Association and ownership and management tried very hard to come up with a very specific method that could be used in all 15 games this weekend and couldn't because it was a last-minute thing. Rest assured, there will be something that will be orchestrated, that will be meaningful, that will come out of this. Maybe not next week, but over time. And by the way, the other piece of this is we have a president whose track record is to continue to tweet and dig a bigger hole. So I think what will happen over the next couple of weeks is we'll have a response based on his response to this. And and frankly, I, I can't wait because anything he says will make this stronger. Yeah, it's going to be, he's not one to, to take these things lying down. And I think he's probably already tweeted uh, once after the, um, after the one o'clock game started. Yeah, um, one, more it, comment, one more comment about his issues as well. And again, not talking about political philosophy, but if you remember, Donald Trump was the owner in the USFL who led the lawsuit to change the time of the USFL season. And they won an antitrust trust suit that he funded, but won $3. 
So right. most people in football remember Donald Trump as somebody who kind of took the USFL down an entirely distant path. And there still are a lot of USFL owners who are involved in the NFL, by the way. And then the other piece is, remember, he applied for the Buffalo franchise uh, as one of the bidders. Oh, did he really? Bon I don't Jovi. remember that. Okay. Yes, he did over two years ago. That's the franchise that the Pagula family bought, and they won a bid. And a lot of the discussion was Donald Trump would have never gotten the franchise even if he could have afforded it. So there was right. a lot of mixed impact on him even before it became president. Well, I just remember him trying to sign Lawrence Taylor. And as a teenager and a Giants fan, it freaked me out a little bit. I was a little worried that I was going to have to root for the, what was it, the New Jersey Generals? New Jersey Generals. New Jersey and Generals, he was overspending yeah. at the time. And remember, yeah. Stephen Ross was the owner of the Philadelphia team. There were a right. lot of other people in the USFL who remember fondly or not fondly, leave it to them and leave it to history about what he was doing. And now he expands on this. And let's also make a, another comment about where this is going. It's the same issue as the disinviting the warrior to the White House right. and telling Steph Curry that he shouldn't come. Well, LeBron says, look, you're a bum. And frankly, uh, I respect the position, but I don't respect you. So that hasn't ended. But it's all kind of the same process. It, it is. And it, what struck to me, you, you and I were, were on the phone earlier today, I think right before the one o'clock kickoffs. Um, and I, I had mentioned how it really seemed to the owners and some of their best plays. You take a Steph Curry, you take LeBron, you take some of the NFL guys now. And they're in a situation where they're really not, they're seen as stakeholders with the franchise. They're not just seen as employees. And I, I don't know if, if that was lost on Trump, but the commitment to, that the Golden State Warriors have to Steph Curry is, one, incredibly lucrative and <laughs> has the ability to sink or sink the franchise if it falls apart, but two, um, seems like a really, um, at least as far as an athlete and a team, it seems like a pretty strong bond. And you see that across the leagues and you see kind of the nature of uh, the, the importance of these players, how they're seen as partners and stakeholders in some ways um, because they're so influential and apparently not just on the field uh, or with the front office for personnel decisions or minor things like that. Well, Dan, another issue that you really do identify here, which is really important, it's not just the statement from the Players Association saying how we stand with the players, but now the players and the Players Association and owners and management are absolutely aligned on the same issue. And they are partners, not just because they feel the same way about this issue, but they share revenue together. They share corporate pieces. Well, for example, um, uh, Steph Curry has a deal with Chase. That's the naming partner of the Warriors. That's the bank of the Warriors. And it's tied into the corporate dollars at the top end and the front end. So it's not just a philosophical, we need the players as partners because the corporations like them as well. It's everybody now understanding they're joined at the hip, which is why I'm saying this early in this process, this is a shining light positive day for the NFL, even though most people may not feel that way at 6 o'clock on Sunday night. Right, right. Okay, terrific. Well, Rick, thanks for both of us are on the run this weekend, and we got this. We're trying to get this together for our listeners. So, Dan, thanks for doing this. Obviously, we're running through airports tonight, but this was really important to get out early as this thing unfolds over the next few weeks, and we're going to hear a lot more about it. But we've got a really good perspective now on keeping score. Thanks for listening to this edition of Keeping Score. The producer Alex Cohn, associate producers Freddie Joyner and Ryan Warner. Assistance provided by Carlos Swadek, 
Tanner Simpkins and Ronnie Sokatch, and the executive editor of Reuters Digital, Dan Calaruso. I'm Rick Haro. Thanks again for listening. See you next time on Keeping Score.